Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. You guys can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're finishing up chapter 1 finally. This is like our fifth study in the book of Ephesians, and we're finally finishing chapter 1. So we like to take it slow and really get into uh, the weeds on what Paul is talking about, and we like to reference other scripture so that we could really understand what's happening in this book. Um, the title of this series is New Life, New Perspective. So when you give your life to Christ, you're, the Bible says that you are a new creation. You are, you are born again. And does that mean that you crawl back into your mom and get born again? No, that's what Nicodemus asked Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what happens. What, what, what it means is that when you're given new life, you have a new perspective on the way that you live. You see life differently. Your motive changes because the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, right? And life as you know it changes. Your desires change. Your wants change. Your, your purpose changes. Your identity changes. So you have a new perspective on how you see life. So that, that's the title of the series that we're going through. So if you guys can pray with me, let's invite the Holy Spirit here. And then let's get into this study. So, Father God, we come before you. And again, Lord, we are just so humbled at the, at the fact that we get to come together. We get to worship you. We get to learn about you, Father. And, and just the fact that you hear our prayer, you, the almighty, awesome creator of the universe, hearing us, Lord, is just, is just so, so ridiculous, God. So we just thank you so much for that. We thank you that we get to, that you've given us your words so that we can learn more about who you are, that we can learn more about who we are, Father. So we just ask that during this time that you would speak to us, Father, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would transform us uh, from glory to glory into, into us being more like you, God. We want to honor you with the way that we live, Father. We want to grow in our love for you. And we want to grow in our love for people as well, Father. We want, we want others to come and experience this life that we have experienced in you, this new life that we have experienced. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. And we thank you that we get to all be here tonight. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, what the first thing that, that I'm going to do, because we're getting into the end of chapter 1, and in chapter 1, Paul obviously does his little introduction at the beginning, and then he gets into uh, the spiritual blessings that we experience as Christians, the spiritual blessings that you and I get to experience as followers of Jesus. And then he kind of transitions into this thanksgiving uh, for, for the life that the saints were living and the, the example that they were to the world around them. And then, he ta- and then he gets into this prayer that he has for them. So what we're, we're, we're talking about tonight is the very last part of that prayer. And so the way that I wanted to start this is kind of getting a context of what Paul is talking about. Because in these last two verses, he says, And he put all things together under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we have a lot of he's and him's, but we're talking about two, two different persons here. And I use that word specifically, persons. So we're, he's, he's talking about God the Father, and he's talking about God the Son, Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is we're going we're gonna to kind of get the context of, of, of when Paul is talking about God the Father and when he's talking about Jesus in Ephesians 
um, in, this, in this chapter between verses 15 and 23. And it says, <clears throat> excuse me, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God, the Father, right, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and man, right in that verse, we already see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and of revelation in the knowledge of God the Father, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which God the Father has called you, what are the riches of the Father's glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of God the Father's power toward us who believe according to the working of God the Father's great might that God the Father worked in Jesus Christ when God the Father raised him from the dead and seated, or when when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, sorry, and seated Jesus at God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Man, as I'm reading this, this is, this is getting spicy. So just bear with me. Verse 21, far above all rule. So this is what God the Father did for, to, to Jesus, right? He, he seated him at, at his right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of God the Father who fills all in all. Oh my goodness. In my study, I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. But then as I'm reading this, it's like, wow. This is spicy. I don't even know if you guys followed that. But, but what, what I wanted to, to get from that, because when you're reading that, you're thinking, huh, that's interesting. So, so it, it seems as if God the Father is like, is like God, God. And then Jesus is almost like, uh, like this God that has to do, that, that is like under God the Father, like that, that seems weird because God the Father is, is, is the one that's giving Jesus power. It's like, what is happening here? Like, what is going on? Because what we're told, right, in Sunday school, what we're taught is that Jesus, is, the Son of God, is God, right? And so what I want to talk about is a little bit is this idea of the Trinity. And I, it, for those of you, I feel like I have like a bug on my neck or something. I don't know what it is. But anyways, hopefully it's not. I get distracted really easily, so I'm sorry for those of you that are new. This is not like a once once in a lifetime sort of deal. Anyway, let's focus, guys. Focus. The Trinity. You guys are getting distracted. The Trinity, right? This idea that God, because Christianity, right, is a monotheistic belief system. Monotheistic meaning that we believe in one God. The Bible teaches that there is one God, but, but this idea that there is one God in three persons because there is God the Father, and we see God the Father described as God in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So God the Father is described as God in the Bible. And when you look at Titus 2, 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Listen to this in verse 13. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is described as God in the Bible. And this, these are just, I'm just using one verse examples for the sake of time. But we could get really in depth and even go into the Gospels where Jesus talks about himself, himself being God, equal to God. And then in God the Holy Spirit, we see in Acts chapter 5 when Peter's talking to, to this couple. Ananias and his wife are, are, these, are these two people that sold. Because what the Christians were doing in the, in the church of Acts, they were selling everything giving it to the church so, so that everyone's needs were being filled. And Ananias and his wife were like, man, these people look pretty cool when they do that. Let's, let's do that too. So they sell all their stuff and they act like they give everything to the church, but they keep some from themselves. And Peter is, is addressing Ananias in chapter 5, verse 3, and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4 he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. So Peter here is saying that the Holy Spirit is God. So, we, so it seems kind of contradictory, right? Where it's like God the Father is, is, is called God. Jesus is called God. The Holy Spirit is called God. So, so God... We have one God in three persons. And what that means is God is one essence or God is one being. And you can get really into If this is something that you're interested in, I highly encourage you to take some time to really dig into this. Because this is something you can study for the rest of your life. But anyways, God is one essence. He is one being in three persons. And in the most simplistic way you can put it, God is one what and three who's. Okay, for those of you that like really simple terms. So, so the question is, we, we see these three, these three distinct persons. Are these persons equal? Or are these persons different in, in their abilities? Are they, are they different in, in who they are and what they can do? And Wade Grudem, who's a theologian and he's a professor of theology and biblical studies at, at a Phoenix Seminary, he puts it this way, talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, if each person is fully God and has all of God's being, then we also should not think that the personal distinctions are any kind of additional attributes added on to the being of God. Rather, each person of the Trinity has all of the attributes of God, and no one person has any attributes that are not possessed by the others. On the other hand, we must say that the persons are real, that they are not just different ways of looking at the one being of God. The only way it seems possible to do this is to say that the distinction between the persons is not a difference of being, but it is a difference of relationships. This is something far removed from our human experience where every different human person is a different being as well. Somehow, God's being is so much greater than ours that within his one undivided being, there can be an unfolding into interpersonal relationships so that there can be three distinct persons. 
You got it? You understand it? Sweet. Let's, no. I mean, I, I read that, and I have, I have sat and marinated on that for like an hour, and I'm still like, I, I think that I understand it, and then I'm like, wait a second, that is complex. Man, God, one, one of the things that you just kind of have to accept at some point is, man, God, his ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. If I could understand, if you could understand every single thing about God, then guess what? He's not God. You're God. Because you can understand everything. But we are not. We are finite in our understanding. We are finite in our abilities. And obviously, He is the creator of us. And we are made, we are made in His image. But that does not mean that we are equal to God and, un- and can understand everything about God. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at this relationship between Jesus and the Father. Because this, this relationship between Jesus and the Father is something that, that is... Jesus came and gave us a tangible example of something. And we see, like, for example, when Jesus goes to the garden, because we just talked about how Jesus is equal to God, right? So, so when you look at Jesus, you look at when Jesus' life in the gospel, he does things like he separates himself, and he goes, and he prays to the Father. And it's like, what? Why is God praying to the Father? We, we just read that Jesus is God. He shares all of the power and the ability of God, why is Jesus praying to the Father? And then when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is betrayed, he goes before God and he says, God the Father, and he says, not my will, but your will be done. It's like, wait a second. If Jesus is God, then why is Jesus doing these things? And you want to know the cool thing? The Bible actually gives us the answer to that. So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, and this is why I don't like using a mic, because it takes me forever to flip through. Oh, it's literally, like, right there, but anyways. Chapter 2, verses 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And man, we could spend the rest of the night talking about this passage, but I'm just going to keep reading. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, listen to this, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, or in other words, a thing to be held onto for personal advantage. Verse 7, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what Jesus does for us is he gives us a perfect example of what it means to be humble. He gives us a perfect example of humility. And, and we, we can see now what a perfect relationship looks like between Jesus and between God the Father because Jesus was exactly equal to God. Completely equal in, in all of his abilities and everything that he can do. Yet, he chose to humble himself and submit himself to God the Father 
And then in this perfect example, how does God the Father respond? So Jesus submits himself, submits his will to God the Father, being exactly equal. How does God the Father respond? We see in verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says that God the Father worked in Christ when God the Father raised him from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand. And then what does he do? Verse 21, so he seats him at his right hand and he puts him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So Jesus submits himself and God exalt, and God the Father exalts him. The Son submits himself, the Father exalts him. And, and this is such a, a perfect example of relationship. And you could even think about this as, as like a relationship in marriage because marriage was given to us as an example of what our relationship to Jesus, what, what our relationship to, to God should look like. And you can see that with Jesus and the Father. Man, my, my wife is completely equal to me in every way and I am completely equal to my wife in every way. Yet there are times when she submits to me and there are times where I submit to her and the response is, and that's, that's the beauty of a love relationship. When, when my wife submits to me, she does it in love. And out of my love for her, I want to make decisions that show that, that's, that, that are what is best for her. So, so it's, a, it's a picture of what a perfect relationship looks like. I submit to you. Jesus submits to God the Father. God the Father exalts Jesus above every name that is named. Man, what an incredible relationship. What an incredible picture of humility. So one of the things that, that, that we can look at now, now we're going to kind of transition from God the Father and God the Son's relationship, and now we're going to look at our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God. Because in verse 22, he says, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And the church is described as what in verse 22? His body, which is his body. So what does it mean that we are the body of Christ? You want to know the good news? It tells you exactly what it means in the Bible. So we can turn to Romans chapter 12, and we can look at verses 3 through 8. And, and this is what it says. It says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, this is, this is a letter from Paul to the, to the church in Rome, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And man, look at... I just, want, I just want to pause and just look at all of these verses that are talking about humility, right, before we get into all these things. Just, just take note of that. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse 4, for as in one body... We have many members. So in my body, I have many members. And all the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation or his encouragement, 
the one who contributes or gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, uh, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, and, and you could also see a, an even longer description of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul gets even deeper into it when he's talking about members. And when he's talking about members, what he's talking about is like ears and no, you, different, the different parts of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes. We are all different members of the body of Christ. Every single one of you in this room, God has created with special gifts, I like using the word special, with special gifts, right? Individual gifts and talents to be used. God made no mistake in creating you. God made no mistake in giving you the family that he gave you and putting you where he put you. God has created you, man, with opportunities and abilities to live the life that he has called you to live. God has given you purpose. You are Christian. You are a member of the body of Christ. And the Bible says that you have giftings. And, and how can I say with confidence that you have the ability? Because we just learned about uh, a few weeks ago in Ephesians 1 that the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. You literally have God inside of you. When you give your life to Christ, man, God comes inside of you and he gives you new life. He's the one that gives you the new perspective. He's the one that gives you the new motive. And how do I know? So I know that you have the ability because you have God in you. How do I know that you have the opportunity? Look at the world around you. You just take one look at the people around you and the world around you, and there is nothing but opportunity. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, man, that is a fact. That, that was a fact then, and that is a fact now. Man, the world around us is in desperate need of the love and the freedom and the grace that God has given us, that God has freely given us. Hey everyone, Pastor JD here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the young adults ministry of Calvary Tucson. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 to 28, we want to invite you to join us in person. We meet every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. Come join us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Down away.